You're listening to Fix Me a Drink, a Flaviar podcast. Welcome to another edition of Fix Me a Drink. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the head of Cocktails and Spirits for Flaviar. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Wonchurch. How are you, Dave? I'm doing just fine. Yourself? I am fine as well. Um, I think we have a very interesting show today. Well, I'm a, I am a little perplexed. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. It's because our topic is very perplexing. Interesting, but also uh, it kind of makes you scratch your head. And I, and I think I'll speak for all of our listeners. If if you are perplexed, then it's uh, then we are all perplexed and and a little scared that you're perplexed because normally <laughs> normally if you have the answers. So if, uh, if this well, is perplexing, this is this is a bad state of affairs. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it, 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 it's a tough one, but it's also kind of a, an interesting one. So there's that. Well, it's getting very summery in New York. It is becoming more and more like gin weather, at least for me. And, you know, over the last probably five to 10 years, maybe 10 to 15 years, let's say, we've been hearing a lot about Navy strength gin, um, first from the UK, and then from all around the US, really. And it's gotten ever more popular, very high proof type of gin, 114 proof, I, I mean, Navy strength, it's the whole thing is, is it supposedly the gin that was uh, issued by the British Navy to its sailors is, right. is the uh, the claim for Navy strength. Which is a great story. I love this story. Yeah. I've told the story. I believe the story. This idea has gone around the world, right? It's it's made its way into stories. Mm-hmm. Even books, even even novels, right? I, I mean, I was reading not too long ago uh, a book by the great uh, crime novel writer Philip Kerr. Oh yeah, uh, Greek sparing gifts. Uh, unfortunately, Mister Kerr is no longer with us, but uh, this will spare him a little embarrassment anyway. It uh, came out in 2018, and I'm sitting there, and his character Bernie Gunther is at the bar at the Grand Britannia Hotel in Athens in 1957. And he uh, he says they had so many bottles behind the bar. I guess they must have some navy strength gin. And since the barman evidently knew the difference between a fresh lime and the liquid green sugar that came in a bottle, I ordered a gimlet. And this uh, this gave me a good laugh. I mean, mostly I do like a gimlet, but um, <laughs> the navy strength gin. You're not going to find it if you look in liquor stores in 1957. No. Uh, there are a couple problems with this idea of Navy strength gin. I mean, we've got Navy strength gin. Everybody bottles it at 57% or 58% alcohol. And that's the old 50% alcohol, the way British the British used to measure it. You know, they used to measure by uh, weight and we use right. volume. And alcohol is lighter than water. So if you have something that's half alcohol by weight, it's going to be more by volume, more than half. And that's where the hydrometer, I guess, comes in or, or yeah, measuring. Yeah, exactly. And this, the problem is the Royal Navy uh, never issued spirits at actual British proof. It was always four and a half degrees under proof, which works out to us as uh, four and a half degree, four and a half percent over proof or 109. 
not 114 or 116, as you see sometimes. I feel like I'm back in chemistry class, but that, yeah. that, all, that all means that there's a big problem there. The proof is wrong for one thing. Right. I mean, right. you know, you're getting more alcohol for your money, so I never complain about it, but it is wrong. Right. <laughs> there's a bigger problem, though. Uh-oh. Which is the Royal Navy only ever officially issued rum. Occasionally during wartime in the 19th century, if they captured the cargo of a foreign ship that was booze, they might issue it. Uh, they issued gin, I think, once in the 1850s, but it was captured gin. It wasn't uh, it wasn't like distilled to their specifications. And that was it. They've always only issued rum. There was gin on Royal Navy ships, but uh the way the Royal Navy worked, uh, you know, it's the English social system with gentlemen and everybody else. Right. And the gentlemen were the officers. So everybody else ate the food and drank the drinks that the Navy issued. The officers had officers mess, which was uh, basically they split them up into a bunch of small groups, the officers on a ship, and they gave each group a bunch of money and told them, buy what you like. <laughs> so they bought gin. <laughs> yeah, so they bought gin because, uh, you know, that's what they liked. They were British and, uh, you know, gin had been lower class, but suddenly in the Navy it becomes upper class because everybody else is drinking rum and they want something different. Right. So they're, they're there, they're they're buying gin. But that means there's no official Navy gin or official Navy strength. They're just buying what was on the market. You know, they go to the store and buy gin. Right. It could, it could be any strength. I mean, that's well, not... there, yeah, there were two strengths that were common by the by sort of the, the end of the 19th century. There was uh, 17 degrees underproof English, which comes out at 47 percent U.S. OK. And, you know, we see gins at 47 percent. Tanqueray is the last of the uh, really great holdouts, you know, the really uh, huge holdouts. It used to be Tanqueray and Beefeater. But uh, Beefeater reduced their proof to uh, the other proof that you would see, which was 22 degrees below uh, English proof, which comes out at about 44%. Got it. So those were the two main proofs that you would find English gin in. Occasionally, you could do it for less. Uh, you, you, there was no regulation that said uh, how much water you you could put in, but... Uh, but the market kind of fought you if it was lower than that. And there's centuries worth of history of the Royal Navy issuing alcohol to their sailors. I mean, rum, rum in particular, right? I think yeah, brandy uh, in the 17th and the 18th century. They also sometimes issued brandy. Right. And in the East, they issued Arak, you know, basically what they could buy locally. But by the 19th century, they had sent a central like rum factory, basically, where they got rum from the uh, Caribbean and blended it in these huge vats over at the docks in London. Right. And then, uh, you know, tested it, tested it and and uh, and uh, set it at proof and then put it in barrels and shipped it out. So that was by that by by, you know, Victorian times. That's what they did. And and it was only in Victorian times that liquor started getting really sold in the bottle anyway. Right, for sure. Bottled at the distillery. Instead so, of the uh, barrel. And I think yeah. 
according to our old friend, the Oxford Companion, to Cocktails and Spirits, I think it says we have that in 1655, the British Royal Navy begins issuing rum to some of its sailors, right? And it's an official ration on long voyages in 1731. And by 1775, rum, you know, as an act of parliament becomes like an official part of the ration. Yeah. So again, I mean, you know, because it's Britain, things are are, are codified, right? I mean, there's a lot yeah. of history. Yeah. It's not hard to find about the Royal the, Navy. It was a huge bureaucracy. Right. I mean, there's a lot of paperwork. I mean, mm -hmm. you imagine, as you were saying, a huge system for buying rum from all over the Caribbean, blending it. There's all types of historical markers. We know when, you know, the, the, the Royal Navy decides to, you know, cut it with water and then more yeah. water and more. I mean, so like all of these things are no mystery. A few years ago, I, I managed to get my hands on a Royal Navy victualling manual from uh, 1939, which was the beginning of World War II. Of course you have that, yes. Which just, you know, it's what needs to be on a ship, right. <laughs> you know, the food, et cetera. And it's got several pages on rum. Right. Uh, it has nothing on gin whatsoever, well, you know. That, that, is, that is the point. Gin? That, no, like, we don't issue gin. If gin, if gin had ever shown up like as an official ration and especially had its own proof, yeah. we would have some historical trace of it, right? I mean, there would be some yeah, we'd have specifications for it, records like you know, orders. There would be a big paper trail, right? Now, that asks the question where does all this Navy strength gin come from? Well. <laughs> That's, I think it, it it has to be traced to one brand, yeah, which is Plymouth Gin, which was made since 1800. They say 1793, but the company was actually founded in 1800, as we found out for the Oxford Companion. Alan Katz and I found out. You know, most companies, they didn't really keep that close track of, of, of their history, right. uh, especially when it was a really long time ago. It was about then. Uh, but anyway, Plymouth Gin is in the port of Plymouth, which was one of the major British naval bases. And there was this popular distillery right there. They mostly sold gin in the west of England. They didn't really sell a lot in London. It wasn't a huge export brand at, at first, but right. uh, it, it became one in the late 19th century. But early on, it had this relationship with the Navy. So uh, when those officers' messes were getting ready to uh, ship out, naturally they bought Plymouth Gin. And they bought a lot of Plymouth Gin right. because it was at hand. It was local. They knew the people. Plymouth is a small town. People in England drink gin. I mean, that's... People, yeah, especially officers. <laughs> you know, they drank gin and bitters. They drank uh, gin and lime juice. They drank gin and tonic. Right. The gin and bitters is, is often called pink gin, right? That's, yeah, that's exactly. Like colloquial term uh, yeah never any ice in any of these things <laughs> god forbid god forbid well you know they were on navy ships they didn't really have ice so, <laughs> no creature uh, comforts uh yeah creature comforts were rare which is kind of the reason why the whole the whole ration started right is that i mean people were were bored on ships right it was hard work you know being on on ships and also you know the barrels of water would get really disgustingly bad right and and the beer the beer would turn bad i mean everything turned well, that's bad that's the real problem was the beer because by custom and law 
going back to like the Middle Ages, British sailors uh, were supposed to get a gallon of beer a day. And that was a beer gallon, which is five quarts. Wow. Because what happens when you pour beer into a container? It foams. Right. And nobody wanted that foam to come out of their share. So they (laughs) threw in an extra quart just to account for foam. Love it. I love it. (laughs) So that means like these people are getting between eight and 10 pints of beer a day. Wow. It wasn't strong beer, but nonetheless, I wish I could do my job (laughs) under those circumstances. (laughs) I like beer. I mean, <laughs> I like beer a lot. And that would be fun. <laughs> it would be, which also might explain some of the early navigation from, you oh, know, yeah. so, which is why maybe we we found unique routes around the world. Yeah. Everybody it might was explain drunk on why beer. people missed Australia for right. so many decades. <laughs> Quite possibly. Huge continent there. Oops. <laughs> they, you know, that was in between round six yeah. and seven of the beer when they were passing yeah. near Australia. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nobody was looking. So, the the beer didn't keep on long voyages and the spirits did. So that took over. Which again, also was like one of these things, which is like, you know, a, a huge epiphany for spirits is that it turns out, of course, that, that many spirits taste better after months in the barrel aging and Absolutely. the temperature fluctuations and yeah. the rocking of the ship obviously causes the the alcohol to, to age, you know, pull a lot of the, the flavor from, from the wood and of course turn it's alcohol as a solvent so it helps break down the barrel so you get more flavor as the voyage goes further so i mean it, it has many benefits over over certainly over water and also over beer absolutely so the sailors you know the rum was delicious uh the navy rum that, that was known to be good rum and you know they're getting plymouth gin uh at regular uh strength which was right. 40, 44% ABV or at export strength, 47% ABV. Those are the two strengths that Plymouth was was being sold as. So like in the US, 88 to 94 proof is that? Exactly, is- exactly. This is just what it's being sold as in right. England. And how, however, sometime around the end of World War II, it seems that they started this. Uh, and uh, every once in a while, the Plymouth Distillery, because they were good friends with the Navy, you know, they were in the Navy-based town, they knew all the officers. Every once in a while, they would bottle their gin at British Proof, which is not Navy strength, not the strength that Navy <laughs> Rome was at, but higher, right? Okay. And so it was 57% alcohol, not 54. alcohol. And they would give that to like a case of it to a ship that distinguished itself or a bottle of it to a sailor who, when, you know, they got back to Plymouth had distinguished himself as really for a very rare special occasion. Like like a kind of a a liquid medal of honor almost. And they they kept doing this even through changes of corporate ownership. Uh, 1983, this is pretty late. The yeah. uh, frigate Alacrity and uh, three other surface ships and a submarine come back from the Falklands War, which was a ridiculous and insanely expensive <laughs> war, right. but very far from home and, and ultimately successful for England. They still own the Falkland Islands. I mean, they woo. do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, uh, nonetheless, when those ships came back, they each got a case of this 
foolproof 57% gin. Now, a case of that gin between 110 sailors or whatever doesn't go very far. No. But whatever, everybody gets a little sip. A little later in 1993, when Plymouth uh, celebrates its 200th anniversary, or really 197th, but who's who's counting? Uh, uh, close enough. They had a little contest in the uh, British press that 24 readers would each win a bottle of Plymouth at 100% proof, uh, and which they said, which is the strength at which Plymouth gin was historically supplied to the Royal Navy. Uh, oh. This is the uh, Allied Demek Company owns the owns the right. brand at this point. This stronger gin was particularly popular on submarines as it enabled the Royal Navy to keep their policy of conserving space on board. There's no evidence of any of that. And it seems to be, you know, the marketing department uh, kind of put two and two together here. Right. And, uh, you know, there's never any discussion of submarines stocking extra strength gin or anything like that. And that's the kind of stuff that tends to filter out. People tend to talk about that. You know, when I was a submariner, our gin was extra strong. <laughs> you boys didn't, you boys were drinking milk. Well, also, it also begs the question, I mean, I know drinking at high altitudes has an effect upon the body, but I imagine drinking at low altitudes like under the ocean would also have some kind of effect on the it body might, although you know when they when they go into u-boat wrecks they find lots of german beer in there so <laughs> and french cognac because they were based in france so okay I, I i mean it's probably not good for you but on the other hand being in a submarine is not good for you <laughs> or maybe the gin at that at that depth seemed even more potent than yeah, it on uh on on land level, I don't know. Nobody ever mentioned it. I think this is the kind of the hand of the marketing department. This is still not an official like bottling. You know, it's, this is a special bottling. And also, I mean, you and I have both been to the Plymouth Gin Distillery at, on separate occasions. It is literally steps from the harbor, right? I mean, like it's. I mean, when we say it's near the water, it is right there, right there. And the Navy base is right there. You, you know. I walked out for a smoke and uh that's how long ago it was. <laughs> that's how long ago it was, exactly. We're we're looking at the harbor, just you know, having stepped out of the distillery and we're we're looking at all these low gray ships with guns all over them, you know, and we're like, oh shit, this really isn't it. I do remember seeing plenty of ships, but I don't remember seeing any submarines there though. I, I could be wrong, but well, I Well, this is something we could probably look up if we were out of mind to. It's true, but it but but especially if this was like if if it was a significant submarine yeah. port, I feel like they would be hearing a lot more about the gin for the submarines. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's yeah, like, exactly. I mean, it's the kind of detail that storytellers like to pick up on. Right. And and, and the fact that it only appears in one little ad in uh. nineteen ninety-three in, in like a you know, a British provincial paper kind of tells you that maybe this was not actually like uh, maybe this was the marketing department speaking. Yeah, so fair enough. Anyway, Allied Demek didn't know what to do with Plymouth. This this old, you know, it was one of the old big liquor companies, and they sell it in 1996 to this guy John Murphy uh, for cheap. And John Murphy and his his team, including uh, Charles Rolls, uh, these guys were brand builders. You know, and uh, they they got this thing for a complete bargain. And by that point, Plymouth was being made with uh, 
molasses. It was they were using cheap uh, sugarcane alcohol, and it was being bottled at thirty-seven percent and a half percent ABV. Mm. I have one of those bottles. I would open it, except it doesn't look like it would be very good, and I think <laughs> it's probably better to just keep it closed. It was really on low uh, at a low point, and these guys uh, Murphy and Rolls and, and company. First, they restore it to a reasonable proof, you know, 82 proof, uh, 41 point something percent alcohol. They restore it to grain alcohol rather than molasses alcohol, which is just fractions of a penny a gallon more. You know, it was it was being really lowballed and uh, they start marketing it and they have a huge success. From in 1995, Domex sold 7,500 cases of Plymouth gin. Which is quite a bit. Yeah, but not for a formerly international brand that was exported to the U.S. and uh, around the world. Travis McGee drank on his boat and all this stuff. Yeah. These guys, uh, Murphy and and company, uh, really build the brand. And uh, in 2005, 2006, they're selling 130,000 cases. That's better than 7,500. Much better, yes. And part of their marketing is they say, let's expand the product line a little bit. Hmm. Let's bring back Plymouth Slow Gin, which is something that all gin distillers made right. in England. Flavored so with the slow, gin. slow berry, which is sort of like yep. a wild cranberry and sugar. Yep. Quite delicious. And they say, let's add that high proof stuff as Navy strength. And they come up with a whole story about testing proof by wetting gunpowder with the spirit and lighting it on fire, which was done in the 1600s. But by the 1700s, that was obsolete. And and Uh, sometimes by sailors to make sure that they weren't being, you know, uh, you know, they were being cheated of their full ration. Right. But But by the 1700s. Everybody had a, a hydrometer. Uh, hydrometer. <laughs> but they didn't need to you do know, it with the like, anybody who's buying rum in any quantity whatsoever. I, mean, I also could be wrong. It, it, I, I don't deal at all ever with black powder, but if I did, I I, I might not mix it with alcohol and light it on fire. Like certainly I mean, certainly not if it was near uh, the right. I mean, powder barrels. I, it, I, I've got this amazing uh, book. It's the account of a uh, a captain uh, who off the coast of Africa in like 1720 gets captured by pirates and the pirates are so drunk. Uh, they, they run out of rum and they send somebody with a torch down to the hold of the oh, ship no. to get more rum. And he opens the barrel. And of course oh. the vapor in the rum explodes and there's a huge fire and all the pirates are too drunk to put it out. So the prisoners on board, uh, are desperately trying to put it out because there's a thin bulkhead between the rum storage and the gunpowder storage. Wow. <laughs> there's this huge fire going on in there. So uh, they managed to put it out just in time. Uh, but yeah, you don't really want to, uh, you know, use fire near gunpowder anywhere yeah. on board a ship uh, unless you're pointing it at the enemy. Which again, I mean, it's a good story. I mean, it's it's and it, it sounds yeah. like it makes a lot of sense, right? Like it had, yeah. you know, at, and it did four- work. You know, it was a way of testing the alcohol. Right. If if it's roughly uh, half alcohol by weight, anything like above that, and uh, the gunpowder will still burn. 
anything mm -hmm. below that. And supposedly that's how the Royal Navy got that 4.5% under proof by weight, the, the most uh, water that they could put in there before it extinguished the fire, before it wouldn't burn. Our, our old friend, Wayne Curtis, who's a lot braver than myself, did a story years ago for the Atlantic Monthly where he he tried to light on, he tried to light black powder on fire after dousing with different alcohols at different strengths, mm -hmm. right? So like what he found was that the lemon heart, you know, 151, 75.5% alcohol, That'll burn. <laughs> that will burn, right? That burns, black powder burn. But other spirits, like the Plymouth Navy strength gin, sometimes didn't burn. And some of the lower proof ones sometimes burn quicker. It doesn't seem to be an exact science. That's got to be something having to do with the conditions of the uh, right. experiment. I'm putting air quotes on this. Well, well he, he also you know, said maybe it's the humidity. Maybe yeah, it's he was yeah, sampling yeah. some of the spirits. But again, I mean, it's not... It, it, alcohol will burn, but like, obviously the proof has a lot to do with how yeah. quickly it will burn. I've made an what. awful lot of blue blazers, which is right. flaming alcohol, where you pour boiling water into a, a cup and then you layer spirits over it. And it has to be above about 40, about 54% ABV right. for it to burn reliably. So like an 80 proof spirit isn't going to really, that's gonna, like that. that isn't going to burn in a blue blazer. Unless you heat the spirit first, right. which is why I'm saying that's the variable in like yeah. Wayne's experiment is the air temperature right. has a lot to do with it because it's not the liquid that burns, it's the vapor on top of it. Right. And you need you need a certain amount of vapor pressure before it starts to uh, catch. Which again is sort of, you know, the whole story about with the Navy strength gin that it, you know, the black powder would light even if it was wet. I mean, like... Again, it's very detailed. You didn't want that. <laughs> right. I mean, it makes yeah, I mean, you would think sense, that they, they would but... think it's got to be under this proof. Because right. the last thing you want is, you know, the rum leaking out into the powder and the whole thing going up. You'd have much mean, worse problems, I think, if the rum yeah. was leaking all over. Like Yeah, that's... and then I've heard people say, well, you know, they stored the alcohol near the near the powder. And what they didn't want was in a fight for the powder to not burn. You know what else they stored down there? Barrels of water. Right. <laughs> if that was the case, there would be no water on board. The whole idea of that makes no sense whatsoever. The, the submarine story makes more sense to me if they said that yeah. if they ran out of fuel, they could use the high proof gin yeah. to power their yeah. their uh, their uh, so, their propulsion, uh, their their engines. And the idea but, of space that makes sense too. But but right. again, no submariners ever talked about this, and right. and there are lots of books by submariners from World right. War II. Right. You know, and nobody ever said, well, we brought the extra strength gin on board, at least not to my knowledge. I haven't no. read all those books, but I've read some of them. And mm, yeah, I, I would certainly mention that our gin was stronger than your gin. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of thing that that old soldiers and sailors like to talk about. Absolutely. Everybody else is a wimp. <laughs> 2001, Plymouth, under these entrepreneurs, uh, launches this Navy strength variant, yeah. as they call Navy strength. And that bottling is the uh, origin of all modern Navy strength gin. You know, around 2012, like, you know, looking in some of the newspaper archives, you see a lot of stories in the New York Times, yeah. Washington Post, right? You get, because now you have not just 
Plymouth gin, but you have all of these new distilleries out in America who've been inspired by Plymouth. I mean, I think New York Distilling Company in, in Brooklyn was one of the first to put Absolutely. out their own Navy strength, partly because uh, Alan Katz, the distiller, is a, was a, I know, a good friend with Simon Ford, the brand ambassador for Plymouth, and, you know, knew, knew Plymouth very well, knew Sean Harrison very well, the master distiller at Plymouth. So that was a, you know, a sort of a tribute to Plymouth. That was a real pioneering move. And, and you might have been there too, but I remember a day at the New York Distilling Company that was in Williamsburg, soon to be in Bushwick, where Sean Harrison came and I think presented Alan with one of those wooden boxes that they would normally give like a frigate or ship, you know, with, with a bottle of Navy Shrink gin and I, glasses. I believe, that's, and, I, believe and I was flag. there. Yeah. 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 I mean, so again, I mean, between Perry's taught the the New York Distilling Company Navy Strength, and then you also have Simon Ford, who's sort of, I mean, he, he now went on to start his own gin, Forge Gin. Um, you know, you know, sort of the Pied Piper going from bar to bar yeah. all over America, talking about Navy Strength Gin. The the pink gin sort of mutates into a cocktail where originally it could be any gin with bitters, but but somehow during this time period, you know, kind of turns into a vehicle mm -hmm. for the Navy strength gin and Angostura. Because it's got the word Navy there, and it was a right. Navy. So, <laughs> it's know. one potent cocktail yeah. where you're, yeah, yeah. You know, you're drinking 114 proof gin with Angostura bitters. I, I, I got to say, you know, God bless the Navy strength gins because it makes one of my all-time favorite martinis. Oh, uh, yeah. Which is, I, I love a 50-50 martini half vermouth. Yeah. And half gin because uh, you get a real good, you know, flavor of the vermouth and it's soft and, and kind of pleasant. But at the same time, I'm used to stronger martinis and I kind of right. want a little more throw weight in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I want to, I want a little more kick to it. And uh, Navy strength gin lets you cheat. Right. So <laughs> what I do is I do uh, a little less than half. I use an ounce and a quarter of, of dry vermouth. And then a little more than half, an ounce and three quarters of Navy Strength gin. Right. And a couple dashes of orange bitters, stir, strain, lemon peel, like you would do a regular martini. And the result is you get something that there's enough vermouth that it tastes kind right. of smooth and, and round and 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 soft and botanical, but there's plenty of alcohol yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and I think it, it it's it good was, for that kind of thing. Absolutely. And and it and created, you know, some buzz and excitement around mm -hmm. gin, which, you know, definitely was needed, you know, uh over the last few years where, you know, where vodka has certainly eclipsed gin by by a large margin mm -hmm. and and i think overall the gin category would definitely use some help like you know with with attracting you know new fans and, yeah. and new folks to to order and it in. gave you know something for people to talk about in bars exactly. well it gave the well actually crowd which is <laughs> you know very popular very very important in spreading liquor uh right. liquor myths and uh and, and viral marketing it gave them something to talk about the Navy strength and the, the, For the, sure. the, 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 how the British Navy used to issue gin and all these, and, and this was the exact strength and all that stuff, which is, as we've seen, completely not true, but whatever. I mean, it's, it's one of these stories where, where you wished it was true, right? Yeah. Like we've, we've, yeah. we've talked about, I think on previous episodes, one of my favorite stories 
about, you know, how for many years, if you ask somebody where the Manhattan came from, it, you know, oh, it was invented mm -hmm. for a party that Jenny Jerome, Winston Churchill's yeah, yeah, yeah. through in New York for Governor Tilden when he was elected, which is, a, you know, a wonderful story, right, at the Manhattan yeah, Club. Yeah, yeah. Like, who doesn't want to tie Winston right, Churchill right. to the history of Manhattan? But, like, again, it's so detailed makes so much sense it must be true it must be true and nobody bothered looking yeah. i mean I, I i have to confess i never really went to look for the origins of navy strength gin right i mean you you're the one who tipped me off to be like well i mean there's nothing we can't really find anything it's, it's one of those things that you know you want to kind of nail down the details right and and as the more you you look you say wait a minute something's here but you know it's ironically if they if, if they just said that this is the strength that plymouth used to do special bottlings of for special ships and individuals in the royal navy that's right. completely true it was never issued by the Navy right. and it was never, you know, and it, and it doesn't go back all that far. I think the earliest hint of it I saw was right after World War II, which suggests that it was something they did yeah. during World War II as well. Although they had a hard time during World War II because the distillery was bombed twice. Right. So, uh, uh, and the, the stills were okay, but the offices were burned out, which means all their records were gone. Right. I mean, that's, and also after the war, their food was still being rationed in the oh, UK. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, Britain was a mess. They, they couldn't get permission to rebuild until 1949. Right. Uh, because building materials and, and workers were all rationed because Britain was a mess. Right. Yeah. So, again, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, one of these things that one of these stories that takes on a life of its own where people are pulling in the rich history of the Royal Navy and, and the Absolutely. rum ration, which the rum ration continues for for years. Right. I mean, yeah, it, 1972, it, I think, was the final year or, or 19. I think July 31st, 1970 is what 70, Black, that's Tot, right, that's Black right. Tot Day. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the last. I mean, it's unbelievable. 1970. That the Royal Navy was still giving its sailors rum until that day. I mean, I think over time. I mean, they time, survived the German destruction of the <laughs> rum docks with right. all the stocks of rum burned up. They Ooh. survived everything, you know, right. and, and, and still kept issuing that rum. You know, the, the Navy strength gin pulls on that rich history of the Navy buying lots of rum and, you know, the whole obviously sailors like to drink and. Yep. You know, then you get the gimlet where, you know, where people were, were drinking that because it prevented scurvy because they're drinking lime juice and that part of the that story with the Navy and, you know, encouraging yeah, I mean, to drink citrus like, you know, but it, it all kind of gets shaken up in the same shaker and, and poured out into your glass, you know, and, and especially, I mean, you can see it like, you know, you're at a bar, you've had a cocktail or two. You can't exactly remember the story, but, it you know, different things sort of float through the transfer of your mind about the Navy and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And like, it all comes in an amalgam, a cocktail of facts of, of yeah. the history. You know, there's a grain of truth of it, like the olive in the bottom of your glass, right. just right. sitting there. Right. But, uh, but you know, uh, the rest of it is, is pretty frothy. I, yeah. I mean, at least with this one, with this myth that, that we all sort of benefit because we now have like a, a new gin to play with and, and yeah. try in cocktails. We have the new, you know, strong gin. And, you know, there there had been always gin, a uh, little bit of gin sold at uh, proof like that, but right. uh, very rare in England. Uh, and it was sold to people who were going to uh, water it down and sweeten it themselves. 
not drink it. Nobody in the 19th century, like people in England didn't drink unsweetened gin. It right. all had a little bit of sugar in it. Uh, until, only until the very end when there was a trend for dry drinks. So, you know, the gin and the tradition of making some gin at proof was certainly there. And, uh, you know, it, it did make it onto occasional ships. And if Plymouth decided to give it to them, but, you know, they, it was never for sale as far as I could tell. And kind of is perfect for the American style, right? Where we're adding yeah. ice. I mean, we're a lot of gene drinks in America also call for sugar, the Tom Collins being yep. a huge driver of gin mm -hmm. sales for decades, right? But again, I mean, higher proof gin, you're you're, you know, with many drinks, you're you're there's a lot of dilution with the ice, with lemon juice, with you know, other ingredients. The normal uh 47% British export strength. That's strong enough for most martinis. Yes, I got to say, for you sure. don't really want them to be stronger if you're only using just a little bit of vermouth as you normally do. You know, Navy strength gin can be very dangerous. Uh, martinis with it are can be brutal. Uh, you have to really be careful. You really want to put in a lot of vermouth in that. Very small glasses for that martini. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now I need one. <laughs> <laughs> well i think after this discussion this deep dive everybody should mix up a gin cocktail um whether you have navy strength or not yeah, down periscope you know and uh <laughs> exactly. get ready to dive well we we've, we've done that i guess so uh Let's come up to the surface and uh, put the, put the deck chairs out on the little uh, exactly. front of the submarine and uh, and have the messmate bring us out a round of martinis here. Exactly, and uh, we'll toast the this this fake history. Yeah, <laughs> it's exaggerated history. Exaggerated history. It's not exaggerated. entirely fake. It's just right. mostly it's fake. <laughs> fair enough. I'll drink to that. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fix Me a Drink. Dave and I encourage you to always drink responsibly. Cheers.